This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles, sweeping them three games to nothing. They are currently, Red Sox are back in second place in the American League East for the first time in quite a while. Still six and a half games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. They do have a two-game cushion over the Toronto Blue Jays to hold the first place wild card seed so that's home field advantage quick disclaimer as always for any first time listeners this is not a homer podcast we call it how we see it when the red sox are dominating we will celebrate that when they are getting destroyed we will be critical and at times savagely blunt if you are easily offended press the stop button immediately but for those who embrace it Let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with us tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Yeah, this feels weird. feels weird to be coming on talking about a Baltimore series that actually went well. I, I feel like every time we cover, we have the Orioles series on the weekend, they either lose two out of three or they get swept. So it's nice to actually have one go our way this time. Yeah, it, we swept them and they uh, gave the Yankees some fits earlier in the week and won at least one game in that series. And yeah, and, uh, yeah and then the Red Sox took care of business and uh kind of kind of looking okay for the moment yeah i get hesitant to say but yeah they <laughs> are they they might be a little bit back i'm not sure the, i guess we'll see this is a tough week i mean you got the mets who you, you don't know what you're gonna get they could kill us we could kill them and then of course the yankees but Yep. Also co-hosting with us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. It's, uh, you know, it was Baltimore. You kind of expected to kind of walk over and just do what you need to do against them. Uh, I, I'm I'm not shocked that we swept. I was expecting a sweep, and I'm thankful that we got that because, uh, truth be told, the third game of the series did make me a little bit nervous. But for those that want to continue sending me all sorts of fun tweets Smith underscore MLB. Jason, I know you got a fun one. Yeah, yeah. If you want to harass me on Twitter, if you can find it, it's uh, at Color of the Iris, and that's color spelled O-U-R. 
All one there word. There it is. So, you know, as I was reading off the standings, six and a half games out of first, that sounds close. I mean, we've been closer to double digits for a while, and I think we were even 10 back at one point. But, Charlie, you got the Tampa schedule up in front of you. What, what does it look like? So, Tampa's schedule, this is uh, not as pleasant as one would hope. You got three against Toronto, and Toronto's, we already know what we're getting. Uh, Miami for three, that could be potentially interesting. Houston for three, ouch. And then the New York Yankees for three. That's that's a brutal wrapping up of the season schedule right there. You know, I think Joe had mentioned on one of the prior shows, could be a lot of schedule watching. And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think we're going to be watching a thing. We'll be watching from our couch. But now the team's starting to look good again. And uh, some of these schedules don't look so pleasant. Well, it's all about momentum right now, and the Red Sox have won, I think, five straight now. And granted, three were against Baltimore, as we'll be getting into, but two of them were against Seattle, who was pretty formidable. And that was in Seattle, where we don't play very well. So, we'll see. It could be an interesting week. I mean, it would be a small miracle if <laughs> if we were to to come all the way back like that, but... But we'll see. Nonetheless, we were in fourth place last week, and the Red Sox have blasted their way back into first place in the wild card. Home field advantage. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the performance package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped. That has just taken off in not only the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. Very good, Charlie. Here's an interesting stat before we get into studs and duds. The Red Sox scored 24 runs in this series, which I think is about what you can expect. I said 27 on the last show, so three short of my expectations, but still a very highly offensive, you know, output there. But only three home runs. Only three home runs all series. That's a little, you know, and this is going to be something that I talk about once I start talking about uh, my stud. They weren't worried about the home run ball. It was just a matter of putting balls into play, uh, play small ball, get guys in in a scoring position, knock them in, do what you got to do. Don't have to try to be a hero. Try to help the team out by getting on base and doing your job. It starts with you and then the next guy and the guy after you. You can't always be thinking home run, home run, home run. It doesn't work. It, it's just, it's not how this team is built. 
This team is not built to be an offensive juggernaut. They have to start thinking and they have to start thinking outside the box. And this series, while, you know, albeit still Baltimore, you started to see it happen. So I I was content. Yeah, I'm actually not bothered by that at all. Um, I prefer that they find different ways to win other than just smacking home runs every game. So if you can do that chain offense where it's one guy after the next, after the next, and you're moving runners along and you're generating runs that way, fine. Because we know the team has power. Like that's not a that's not a mystery at this point. We know that Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, Schwarber, we all know they can hit for power. They're capable of it. So if they can also show you, hey, we can score other ways as well, especially, you know, when you're in the middle of a, a playoff hunt, then yeah, great. No problem with that. I'm just wondering if that was kind of the problem as we were going through that five weeks of misery that we went through. They just weren't simply making contact to to try to just get base hits. They were they were trying to sit on balls and hit home runs and didn't you know just wasn't wasn't a good run. And I I like I like what we saw in this series and, and yeah I, Seattle as well. Yeah, and and I think that a guy like you know Dahlbeck for example is kind of. A, you know, a key example of that where it's like, he's a guy that everyone expected to just hit home runs. Now that he's starting to do other things and maybe not focusing on hitting home run every time he goes up to plate, maybe that's what's helping him improve. And if that helps the rest of the team improve, then that's all for the better. He's been walking a lot more too, which is, which is nice to see the, the strikeouts have been drastically uh, reduced only only one strikeout this whole series for Dahlbeck, actually. So, all right. So, before we get into it, quick recap. Friday, Red Sox win 7-1. to Chris Sale had the start. Saturday, Red Sox win that one 9-3. Nick Pavetta was on the mound. And then today in the finale on Sunday, Red Sox win that one 8-6. Closest game of the series Nathan Avaldi got the start and uh, the sweep uh, took place. So getting into studs and duds, Jason, who's your stud? My stud is Tanner Houck, um, who saved your ass on Saturday uh, and saved Nick Pavetta's ass a little bit too because um, it was pretty clear, what, first three pitches that Nick Pavetta didn't have it on Saturday. I mean, that was ridiculous. He went out there and was immediately getting tagged. Um, and we're all sitting there going, oh, geez, here we go. We're getting the bad Nick Pavetta today. And, you know, Salamore is getting loose in the first inning, and you're just going, oh, geez, okay, we're, we're in for a long, long Saturday afternoon. Um, I'm glad that Cora made the switch when he did. I'm glad that he, you know, he bled Pavetta for as much as he could and then said, okay, you know, we're, we're bringing the kid in. Um, and... With Hauk, for me, it's like I've been sort of hesitant on the idea of putting him in the bullpen, using him as a reliever down the stretch here because I just I don't want him to get screwed up, right? I, I want this guy to be in your rotation or at least vying for your rotation next season because I think he can be that good. And, you know, we all talk about how the Red Sox haven't developed a homegrown arm in so long. You know, that that's kind of what I want. And putting him in the bullpen now, it's like, I don't want them burning him out. 
we've seen that happen with guys before. We saw it happen with, I think the the example I'll never forget is Brandon Finnegan with the Royals when he came up in 2015. He was a stud prospect, you know, was projected to be a great starter for them. They used him in that World Series push out of the bullpen. They used him a lot because he was a great left-hander, and they burnt him out so bad that when he, you know, wanted to get back into the rotation the next season, he couldn't do it. And he's floundered ever since then. Um, and there's countless other examples, too, of, you know, guys who were starters who got used out of the pen and just it screwed up, it screwed them up mentally, it screwed them up physically, whatever, you know, whatever it was. So I hope that isn't the case. But, you know, regardless of that, how could be a huge weapon for you? So I, in a way, it's like I don't want it to happen, but I get why they're doing it because he really is good against right-handers. You can't deny that. Right-handers are hitting like 222 off of him. Um, that sweeping breaking ball is nasty. And, you know, at least one time through the order, hitters don't really know what to do with it. So he could be a big weapon for this team going forward, especially, again, in the playoffs. You look at teams like Houston, Chicago, you know, they've got a lot of right-handed power bats. And if, you know, one of your starters is struggling or, you know, if, if Evaldi's pitch count is high and you need to go to Hauk to spot him for a couple of innings, you feel pretty good about that. So I thought he was awesome on Saturday. I think he proved that he can he can fill that role and he can do it well. Um, like I said, I worry about the long-term implications of that, but let's focus on the short-term for now. We're in the middle of a playoff race, and I think that this is the best move to get this team into the playoffs and give them a decent chance at a long run there. So I'm a big fan of it. I, um, I was super happy to see Tanner Hawk do what he did. Um, I actually – wanted to look back at his line because I felt like some sometimes it was more skewed towards being super dominant against righties. If you look at it, they're very, very similar. The major difference between the righties and lefties that he has is, uh, I mean, he's, he's allowed a couple less um, hits and he's had a couple more, you know, batters face on the right side, which is why the average is like slightly skewed that way. He strikes out a lot of righties doesn't not to say he doesn't strike out lefties but righties he just does work and that's the thing is it's it's a little bit of a drop off when it when you goes to the to the left-handed uh batters but i still like how i still think that he has a future as a starter uh in boston i really want to believe that i'm just so happy that finally it took baltimore a team that he's dominated all year to get his first win on the season. Cause I was wondering, are we going to like, is it going to be like in a wild card game? Like when are we going to see him win a game? And he finally got one. I was so sick of waiting because this is a guy who didn't lose a game last year. Granted it was a you know BS season, but this year couldn't get a win to save his life. And he was pitching ridiculous. Like his last game against, uh, was it Cleveland? I don't think he allowed a run and he just got no support. Should have gotten a win that game. Didn't get it. So it's, it's fitting that he kind of, got to reap the benefit of the fact that like you mentioned Pavetta was terrible. The first three pitches I sat there like, wait, is this real life right now? Like, are we watching this game? You you just give up three back-to-back hits and then you walk the fourth guy. Um, and that was like a, a lengthy at bat too. You're, you're, you're not doing well. You've thrown just over 10 pitches and already uh, two guys have scored. You got one on. It's just now two on just, an absolute nightmare. And I think the, the wheels could have fallen off much quicker, but 
Uh, luckily, the Red Sox bats were like on it. So <laughs> credit Hauk for doing what he had to do. He definitely saved Pavetta. He saved the Red Sox in the, in that game, no question. He definitely was the the stabilizer that we needed because that was the the Saturday game was the more questionable one. I mean, Friday and Sunday seemed like automatic wins, but if you're going to lose one, it would have been Saturday and he came in and was absolute nails when he came in in the in the 5th inning. There were two runners on that he inherited and he, he ended up getting out of the inning without any runs given up. His only one hit in two and two-thirds innings was to Ryan Mountcastle, who had a hell of a series. Uh, even in today's game, I think he was on base four or five times, uh, at, le- at least four going into his last at-bat. And I'm fine right now with how coming out of the bullpen because of the built-in off days. That affords you to use Chris Sale a little bit more every fifth day. It allows you to use Nathan Avaldi, which kind of makes me nervous because he does look like he's he's getting a little tired. But maybe we'll have the benefit that last week of uh, depending on where we are, how big of a cushion we have um, over the second place wild card team and. I'm assuming we're not going to get too close to Tampa, but as we discussed earlier, it's it's not completely impossible. So for now, I'm content with with Hauk out of the bullpen, and we got a host on the other show who's completely convinced that that's his future no matter what. But I'm at least a year away from agreeing with that. I wanna. I think there's more development with Hauk that can be had, I think, over the winter and perhaps through spring training. An effective third pitch can can be developed. So that that's what I'm going to hope for. But he was absolute nails on Saturday in that, in, in that middle part of the game where he got eight outs. So... I'll I'll say this much. Tanner Houck showed last year that he can he can hack it with the big guys. Um, last year he allowed one run, and the only reason there was one run a home run. Like he was absolutely electric against the Yankees last year. I remember that game like it was yesterday. It's like wow, your second career performance. You almost threw a no hitter. You allowed one run that wasn't earned. Uh, the fact that anyone thinks that this is uh, a future in the bullpen, I think that's just you know I think that's just a bad take. Because uh, he's showcased that he can hack it and he's earned the right to be in that uh, rotation. So I just, I don't know. It, it sounds like silly bias to me, just a little silly. And you look at Connor Siebold, who apparently only throws 90 miles an hour. <laughs> um, so not a, lot of, not a lot of optimism there as far as him being a, a starter, at least for now. And right. I mean, who else do you have? I <laughs> so so hopefully he can he can continue to to grind it out. I mean, he hasn't looked great lately, Hauk, as a starter, but he's still gone, you know, five innings for the most part, giving up three runs. So he's, you know, he leaves the game with us still having a chance, right? Regardless, but go ahead, Charlie. Who's your stud for the series? 
Uh, my stuff for the series was Hunter Renfro. And uh, no, he didn't hit any home runs in the series, but he doubled in each game. He had a double in each game of the series. He finished up four for 13 with single, three doubles, five runs knocked in, scored four runs himself, struck out three times, walked once. But the small ball thing, he was doing it. He was getting his job done. Get on base, knock runners in. I can't complain. You're averaging almost two RBIs a game. Dude, like this is just... It's it's literally insane. Um, this is a guy who has hit ninety plus RBIs for the first time in his season. Uh, he's hitting two sixty for the first time in his career, not counting his rookie year when he only had thirteen hits and thirty five at bats. Like he is having his best career year as a member of the Boston Red Sox. We are so lucky that he is playing for a peanut contract of three million. Um, it's going to look like a steal regardless of what he gets paid the next two years. It really is because the fact that you have someone who's almost cracked 30 homers and hundred RBIs for 3 million, that's a mugging. That is a drive by shooting. That is how <laughs> crazy that is. Um, and I don't care that it was the Baltimore Orioles. You still got a hit and it doesn't seem to matter what team he's, he's facing. He has these moments of getting, uh, clutch hits, I, I mean, all I could think of is the Tampa Bay game, a home run that didn't look like it was going to come down and then gunning a player out at third base to end the game. This guy is just insane. So, I mean, he he is like the new Mike Napoli. He's just mashing everything. Jason? Yeah. <clears throat> um, he's been above and beyond what any of us could have expected. Um, you signed him for, you know, one year, three million low money deal. I think we all kind of looked at it at the time and said, OK, yeah, Hunter Renfro, who didn't do anything in 2020, who was non-existent basically in 2020. Um, he's been awesome this year. And especially with the bat, he's just been consistent. You know, the power's always been there. The the extra base hits, like Charlie said, you know, racking up doubles as well. Um, he's he's not really a liability at the plate ever um and i like that yeah sure he hits great against baltimore but he does it against every team he does it against new york he does it against toronto he doesn't take series off really uh it's it's very rare if hunter renfro has an over weekend so he's been great um he's been you know up and down defensively because yes he has a cannon of an arm but he's also made like what 11 errors out there or something like that maybe even more he's dropped a few routine fly balls so i think he's one of these guys that He's falling in love with his arm, which is fine. You know, he's he's got a rocket of an arm. I get it. But maybe he needs to, you know, just sharpen up a little bit defensively. But at the end of the day, you really can't complain too much. That might be your only complaint is that, you know, at times he's a little Jekyll and Hyde out there in the field. But for the most part, the value that you're getting from this guy and you still got him for team control for a little bit, I mean, that's even better. So, um he, he, like I said, above and beyond what we could have expected. A big reason why you're still in the playoff hunt is because of Hunter Renfro. It's no doubt about it. Hard to imagine where we would be right now in the standings without Renfro, but I'm not an expert on service time. I, I have a basic understanding of it, but for whatever reason, Hunter Renfro has four arbitration years, so I don't know how he got that extra one. It's pretty standard that a player will have three. 
So we basically the three million ends up being what his arbitration would have been in year one. So I'm guessing in year two it's going to be at least double, probably six, maybe even seven or eight million. I'm not sure. But it'll be in the six to eight million range, which is very affordable. I don't think the Red Sox would not pay him that. So I, I think we can be comfortable with the fact he's going to be here for at least next year and possibly a couple more after. His big moment of the series, though, was in game one. Hit a uh, kind of a, a sharp hooking liner to... Cedric Mullins and it was just out of the reach of his dive and then the ball rolled back to the outfield wall and that ended up clearing the bases so three runs came in Renfro ended up I think at second and basically put game one out of reach Red Sox won that one seven to one so big moment for him been super clutch down the stretch I mean if this is a late inning at bat with runners on base and you need to score how many other guys do you want on base i mean i know devers is, has been pretty clutch kike's starting to well not starting to he's basically had a great second half as well so but he he's definitely one guy i like to have in those in those late innings yeah i think that he would he would be a great you know late inning big moment kind of postseason hitter, you know, almost like the Steve Pierce uh, of this year's team, except we didn't expect it from Steve Pierce. You know, I think Hunter Renfro now he's gotten to a point where we would almost expect him to come through. So hopefully he's not one that cracks under pressure or doesn't have that certain, you know, clutch or it factor to him uh, and he can come through, but yeah, I would have total confidence in him. Kike also had, uh, he almost joined the uh, double day, a double per day, uh, you know, club with uh, Hunter Renfro. He didn't get a double in the first one, but cracked one in the second and the third game. Scored runs, knocked people in, got walked. It's just the whole small ball thing. They're they're focused on the bigger picture. It's not the the me 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 game. It's about the us us us. Like we know what we have to do to win. As far as offense goes, and for pitching, it's just all right. How do we just attack the next guy? Forget about who's on base. Let's just attack this guy right here. It's it it's pretty nice. I just checked. He has a 2.1 war. I'm kind of surprised. I would have thought it was in the threes, but perhaps maybe some of his defensive lapses have lowered that a little bit, you know, on the D war side of it. So let's get into some honorable mentions. There's a lot of them in the lineup because let's face it, we were playing Baltimore, but as Charlie said, Kike Hernandez, great series for him. Four for 11. He was 0 for 11 in the last series. So finally has his timing back, swinging a good bat. Xander Bogarts, 4 for 12. Big game on Saturday for him. He was 3 for 5 with a home run and four runs driven in. 0 for 3 on Sunday, but still a good series for Xander. Devers, 6 for 14, didn't hit any home runs, but uh, quietly stringing together some hits in the middle of the order. JD was his normal, reliable 3 for 11. 
It seems like he's like the the one for four champion of the Red Sox. Every game it's one for four, <laughs> but you'll you'll take it. Dahlbeck three for nine. Verdugo had an epic first game, three for four. Uh, four for eight overall in the series. Jose Iglesias continues to make a big impact. It's a tragedy. He will not be eligible for the postseason roster, but he was uh, three for 11 as well. Any thoughts on any of the guys in the lineup there? I mentioned him earlier, but I, I really like what I'm seeing out of Dahlbeck. Um, he's a guy that we've been very hard on this season and at times, he absolutely deserved it. Um, but he's been one of your best hitters, one of your top three, top five hitters in the last month or so. And it's it's kind of impossible to ignore that. Um, and certainly anytime you see Kyle Schwarber play first base, you, you, know, you find yourself now going, I kind of would rather have Dahlbeck over there. <laughs> Not going to lie. Like, I get it. Schwarber's bat is awesome, but holy crap. Um, so he, look, he's, he's looked a lot better. And I think it kind of goes to what we were saying earlier. Like maybe he's finally realizing, Hey, you don't have to hit a home run. Every time you go up to bat, taking a walk is, is good too. slapping a, you know, a single into left field or a single into right field is great too. Um, if you hit a line drive off the wall, that's great. You know, you don't have to hit 450 foot bombs. Um, you, you know, that's not the kind of hitter you have to be. He's raised his, raised his average quite a bit. Um, you know, and again, defensively is looking a lot better, looking a lot more sound. So, um, hard to really crap on the guy. He's, he's definitely, uh, turned it around the last couple of weeks. <sighs> Charlie has to say nice so, things about Dolbeck. <laughs> I, 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 I'll say this much. The punch is in the fridge. It's cool. It's been untouched. Um, and I haven't reached for it yet. And it's not that I don't, not that I don't want to, cause I could. Um, and it's not that I, I, I can't because I can, I'm still stuck because we've seen two months of, uh, a damn fine Bobby Dahlbeck. He's been doing great, but I have thoughts and I've mentioned this before. I can't forget about April, May, June, and July. And those were nightmarish months and was it the heat was it the fact that it got really really warm that made you click was it something that you did with the mechanics like what was it so until i get one really really good year of bobby dahlbeck i'm gonna have a really hard time saying yeah i feel really good about this kid in there but i get what you're saying about rather having bobby dahlbeck over kyle schwarber because for a little bit we were winning games because of kyle schwarber we're not a game up or two games up or three games up, four games up, depending on the team. We're two games back, three games back, four games back. Like we're sitting there like, oh man, if only we got an extra person. That's what we got. We got that added insurance. Bobby Dahlbeck has been one of the clutch guys on the team recently. He's been doing great. He's been doing his job. He's been doing his job for two months. For four months, he didn't do anything. It was a black hole. And it was like the him or Franchi, it doesn't matter. It's going to be a strikeout. I harped on this, and we, we, we harped or highlighted however you want to call it. He didn't strike out that much. Rafael Devers struck out one time. 
and he's focusing on small ball, singles, doubles, no home runs. It's okay. I don't care. That's all right. You're getting on base. You're doing your job. I don't want to see you striking out two or three times a game. One time in a three-game series, I'll take that. So, I don't know what I want with Dahlbeck at this point. I've been a big trade Dahlbeck guy for a long time. <laughs> Charlie's Charlie's got his mouth wide open, like with intense anticipation. Like maybe maybe I might start chugging the punch, but uh, I'm not chugging the punch yet. But I mean, in the last thirty days, and I wish this thing would go back a little further. Dahlbeck's hitting his average is three sixteen. His on base is 398, just a tick under 400. And the thing that gives me so much pause about imagining a future with Bobby Dahlbeck at first base is he's never hit this good anywhere. So it's hard to gauge, is this for real? Is this for real or not? I don't know. If... I get a sweet trade offer for Bobby Dahlbeck and we're going to net a, a good arm, a good starting pitcher or something. I probably, on this day, I probably still make that deal. I probably still send him because Casas won't be ready to start the year, perhaps maybe halfway through next season. He, he might be. And you'll probably have to go through some growing pains with him. But I just, I don't know where I'm at with Bobby. And I'd hate to be sitting here a year from now thinking, man, that second half of 2021 was great. But man, 2022 sucks. And his trade value is way down. <laughs> so I, I don't know. But do I roll my eyes a lot less when Twitter is like, I can't even use any of the words I want to use. But when Twitter's like reacting extremely passionately to Bobby Dahlbeck, do I roll my eyes as much now? No, I don't. And um, it's been fun to watch, and I have to give him credit. But I'm not drinking the punch either, Charlie. Not today. What's your I'm, I'm taking I'm taking small sips, <laughs> small taking small sips. sips of the punch. I'm, I'm going to nurse the punch. I'm going to nurse it for a little bit. He's going to he's nursing the punch. That's a good. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. What What's you guys' favorite punch? I like Arizona. One of those tall cans of Arizona fruit punch. It's pretty good. I gain like 10 pounds, it feels like after I chug one, but. Uh, Andrews is uh, Bobby Dahlbeck punch. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what mine is. I, I think it's it's probably, yeah, some from like some Arnie Palmer combination of like punch and tea. Yeah. Okay. Actually, now now that it's now that it's coming back, I was a big high C guy. Oh, so. is that back yet? Is that back? Yeah, high C is coming oh, back. Yeah. All right. So. That was good. Yeah. Well, all right. So those were the honorable mentions out of the lineup. We can get into the pitching a little bit. Let's talk about Chris Sale. Let's do it. Five innings pitched. 
gives up an earned run, which was a towering shot. That was Ryan Mountcastle again, who I already said had a hell of a series. Chris Sale didn't walk anybody. Two hits. So here, here's his line again. Five innings pitched, two hits, one earned run, didn't walk anybody. That all sounds fine. But Yes. But then you get to the last one, one strikeout. It's a little one wonky. One base runner. One person was left on base in five innings. In five innings. How many times have we seen that this year? One strikeout, not great. <laughs> but you know what? One run on two hits, and that run was a solo home run for Montcastle, who's literally owned us, and the only team who's done better than, um, like better than than us is is the Toronto Blue Jays. He mashes Toronto, mashes them, and he does well against us too. Go figure. It's the teams he sees the most, divisional opponents. Go figure. He is fine. Not my playoff starter, but I'm so pumped. Five innings for Chris Sale. This is what you wanted. This is what you needed. This is what you expected. And because of it, the punch is in the fridge. It's just, it's ever so close. But this is starting to turn around from a couple weeks ago, from what Terry and I were saying. Like, yeah, it's not happening. (laughs) It could happen. It could happen. It's been the most, my most bipolar season as a Sox fan ever. Like one week we're, yeah, I'm with I'm you. feeling like we're in the next week I'm out. But the, the funny thing about the Chris Sale thing was, was in the post game interview, he goes, yeah, I had what, two strikeouts and it was only one. So he tried to double it in his, in his press conference. It was only one. And the other funny thing was was before the game on Twitter, on the Bastards underscore Boston account, I asked a question. I said, which pitch will Chris Sale get the most punch outs on today? Will, will it be his changeup, which he's been working on and has been emerging as a, as a more effective strikeout pitch for him? Or will it simply be his slider, which has always been his bread and butter? And so I asked that question. And he only gets one punch out total. <laughs> so, so yeah. And that was on a nasty uh, slider. But, uh, yeah. So, it just just a little weird. It, Jason, where are you on the on the wild card starter? Who Who's your starting pitcher that game? Oh, without question, it's Evaldi yeah, for me. Okay. I, yeah. yeah. You, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not on the Chris Sale boat. Uh, give me Evaldi. He's been there all year, and he's got the stones. He's got the stones to do it. So, well, we did a whole show on it, our deep dive show, uh, the week before last, and Job and Andrew were like, "Oh no, sales my guy, sales my guy," yeah. and I, I took Evaldi. But on our next recording the following week, they're like, "Yeah, I think, I, I think it's gonna be Evaldi." <laughs> so, so they yeah. they both flipped, you know. Which... It it should be Evaldi, and it, look, this this latest Chris Sale start, I'm with Charlie. He's fine. I'm not worried about him. Chris Sale was he he's a he's a predator. And the Orioles are a dead mouse that he was playing with. <laughs> and he just he just was like, you know what? It's Baltimore. I'm not going to give them my best stuff. I'm not going to rear back for the extra velocity on the fastball. I'm just going to do what I have to to get them out and, you know, get my pitches in, get the win, and get out of here. I think I think that's he, – he's saving his best stuff for later. Yeah. But Evaldi is the ace 
uh, of the staff. And he had a pretty good start today. He kind of fell asleep in, uh, I, I think it was the third or fourth inning, uh, where, where he gave up three runs. But five innings pitched, seven hits, three earned, one ball and, uh, excuse me, one walk, and then eight strikeouts. So Evaldi is my guy. And to go with Chris Sale, I mean, he's an ace by previous reputation only right now he's he's a, an ace on paper like he's pitched well since he's come back but we haven't yet seen 2017 2018 chris sale i mean that guy and maybe we'll never see that guy again maybe he's just going to be more of a finesse guy and maybe get more contact outs than he than he used to. I'm not worried about him either, but but it's got to be a Baldy. Has to be a Baldy. Uh let's see. Garrett Whitlock had uh two, well, he did give up an earned run today and then left the game with an injury. Game 1 he had a uh a clean inning, didn't give up a hit or a walk, struck out one. He left with a pectoral muscle and I guess they're going to they're going to talk about it more tomorrow on Monday, actually I should say. So that doesn't strike me as something too concerning, I don't think. I mean, it's not shoulder or elbow, so no, that's that's an odd one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a muscle injury, and and you know maybe it's just it could just be a small strain, and they just gotta let him rest for a couple of days, and he'll be okay. But um, yeah, I I agree. Nothing nothing really raises raises the alarm bells for me either. There, I will say this. I mean, if we don't, if it is more serious than we think, we don't have him. That's brutal. <laughs> that's that's hard to imagine not having him you know, available out of the bullpen and also look at it this way. This is a shorter rotation than what we had in 2018. You had, you legitimately had five guys you could use that year. This time around, you got, you got Evoldi, Sale and Erod. And then what do you do after that? You could do a few things. None of them are super great, but the reason I'm pointing this out is, because Sale and Evaldi might have to pitch on shorter rest, you can't necessarily use them in the eighth inning like Cora did, which ended up working out brilliantly in 2018. Instead of throwing their bullpen, Sale, uh, instead of throwing their bullpen, Cora was like, "You're just going to pitch the eighth game, the eighth inning tonight, excuse me," and that will happen in lieu of your 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 bullpen session before the game. So. So it's it's going to be different. He's not going to be Alex Cora is not going to be able to replicate what he did in in 2018 because the he just doesn't have the depth. So so therefore not having Whitlock in there that hurts. So ho- hopefully it is minor. Another guy, Charlie's favorite player, had an excellent series. One Garrett Richards <laughs> came out of the bullpen twice, did not give up a hit in either outing. That was in games two and three. Did give up a walk in the 
uh, second game of the series. None today in the finale, but continues to be, I'm just going to say it, dominant out of the bullpen. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, you know, that was one of my takes for, for um, Call the Cops or Totally Legit. And I mentioned Garrett Whitlock having more saves than Matt Barnes and Adam Ottavino. And we've now seen Garrett Richards be the last pitcher twice, which is interesting because if you're the opposing team, that's not the guy you expect to see in the ninth inning. And in two innings, he struck out three, allowed a walk, um, almost had a perfect inning here um, today. Uh, yesterday, also not bad, like doing what he needed to do through a lot of pitches, which is tough. But if you're only expected to do one or two innings, I don't really care how many pitches you take. Throw 50 pitches if you're going to do two innings. I don't care. Um, as a starter, I expect you to be in that 12 to 13, 12 to 15 per inning range. He was doing 20 and then eight today. So two innings, 28 pitches, 27 pitches. Kind of hard to complain. I uh, I think I'd still rather staple my ears to a horse than trust Garrett Richards in a big <laughs> spot uh, in any game. But I think that he's at least earned some leeway and he he's at least earned the right to get that opportunity over some other guys in that bullpen who have been faltering, who have been really sliding these last couple of weeks. So um, we'll see if hopefully he can keep it up. And if so, he might, you know, if he's willing to stay as a reliever, um, he might earn himself a little bit of money in the off season with the way he's been going. So it benefits him too. So why not keep rolling with it? Well, it's, I think ultimately it's up to Bloom whether or not that option gets picked up for next year, but I'm kind of thinking it will. And if we do advance into the playoffs beyond the wild card and Garrett Richards has some big moments in the month of October, then I'm going to say it's it's almost it's almost a guarantee that they'll bring him back. He can be dominant out of the bullpen. And I mean, if they need a spot starter, it's, it's possibility. So we'll see. I I think, I think it is more likely than not on, on this very day that, that the option does get picked up, but all right. Uh, we kind of stretched that out for quite a while. Let's uh, let's get into the dud side. It was a series sweep, so we don't have to spend too much time on this. But, Jason, who is your dud for the series? My dud is Hirokazu Sawamura, um, who has been pretty much hot garbage in September. Um, <laughs> and he was hot garbage again today. Um, came in for an inning, gave up two runs, eventually got out of it. But this guy, the league is starting to figure him out, and that's that's scary. Um, you know, again, it's it's all, can he get the split finger by you? No? Then, okay, he's ineffective. That's essentially what it is. In the month of August, he's walked nine guys in eight innings. I mean, that's, that's not good. Oddly enough, he hasn't given up a home run yet because that's usually what he's known for. Um, but he hasn't done that yet. But 
yeah, he's guys are starting to they're not biting on the splitter anymore. That they're not that they know it's going to go in the dirt. They know that he can't dot the corner with it for a strike. So he's kind of predictable now. It's just you know he's a one trick pony. Um, and look, it, you know, is he completely useless? No, but I think that <clears throat> the Red Sox need to work with him on not relying on the splitter as much and maybe trying to go to some of his other stuff, trying to mix things up a little bit. I just don't know if he has the repertoire to be able to do that. I don't think he's got great stuff. So I'm not sure that, you know, look, he he's been decent. He's helped you out a little bit this year, but right now I don't want to see this guy in a close game. If it's a blowout, fine, throw him out there, but anything, you know, three runs or less, I don't want to see this guy. I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, I think that the experiment was cute. It unfortunately did not work, and his his impre- it, like impressive five one record really doesn't you know paint the whole picture because as Jason just mentioned, August has been a nightmare. September hasn't been good either, um, and there's just no level of consistency. You can't survive on one pitch, especially if your pitch isn't a strike. Um, it just they know what to expect now. They, the opposing team knows what is coming and, uh, that's not good. You don't have to bang on a trash can to know what pitch is coming. It's, it's tough. Um, I think the experiment at this point, we would be doing ourselves a disservice to pick them up unless we're going to teach them another pitch. That's it. If Salamora falls behind in the count early in the at bat, it's going to end in either a walk or a hit. He's only effective when he gets ahead in the count. And we haven't seen much of that. And when he came into today's game, I think it was a, yeah, it was a two run game. Red Sox were up five to three. There was a runner on first because Whitlock, that was from Garrett Whitlock. And I'm thinking, why, why are we putting Salamora in the game right now? Barnes had finally come back and uh, he pitched game one. So he was on, he would have pitched on, on a full day's rest. Adam Ottavino didn't pitch at all this series. And, And maybe these guys need rest. Maybe they do, but it still sounds like a better option than Salamora in a close game. And then predictively, he came out of the game with the Red Sox losing. He he put two guys on right away via the walk, so the bases were loaded. And then a ball got pulled down the, the left field line, and, and all three runs scored. So I don't want to see Salamora in, in a situation like that unless we're way behind or, or way ahead. But that's it. Uh, there are better options in the bullpen. So, I mean, even one of Jason's favorite relievers, Hansel Robles, has been okay lately. Hasn't been getting destroyed. But my, he's higher on my trust ladder right now than, than Salamora. So, Cora is a dumbass if he's going to keep going to this guy. And I... I so ho- hopefully we're done with that. But Charlie, you're done. 
Uh, the dud that I had was uh, Nick Pavetta. Pavetta uh, uh, t- terrified me. Um, everything, <laughs> I mean, it, it was, I mean, hit derby. Like, not home run derby, but hit derby. Like, it didn't matter where the pitch was. It just, and Jason talked about this, the first couple of pitches were, it, it didn't matter. Double, home run, single, walk. Your first four guys have gotten on base. And the only reason, honestly, where I was like, ah, shoot, this sucks. Like, this isn't a good start to the game. And I said, I positioned it that way when I'm watching it. This is a crap start to the game, not we already lost. And the only reason why I said that is because it's Baltimore. You could go down 3-4-5-0 and still make a comeback. You can at least come close. Other teams, you you go down 3-4-5 runs in the first inning you pretty much sealed your fate. But I wasn't really that down on it until I think probably like the second inning when I still wasn't convinced that things were going great. I, I don't have faith in, in Pavetta. I, I think that he needs to, he needs to figure it out and he needs to figure it out fast because this is going to be someone on the chopping block. There's no consistency. There's none. I mean, Thank goodness he's not allowing four runs a game anymore. But the home run ball's been hurting him. That first inning can't happen again. That's completely unacceptable against Baltimore. Against Baltimore. You cannot get shelled in the first inning of your start against Baltimore. That's the second worst team in baseball. Um, that's it. Like, I mean, you, you can't even go four innings as a starter. You could throw 66, 70% of your pitches for strikes, but if they know what's coming, you're you're not efficient and you're most certainly not effective. Yeah, scary stuff from Pavetta. Real scary. Uh, he completely peed down his leg. And the thing is, if this was like the middle of June or if it was July, we would list him as a dud, but we'd say, well, okay, it's one bad start. You know, he'll bounce back. No problem, right? The problem now is that it's, you know, middle of September and you're in a playoff race and you're barely hanging on to the wild card. So now you have to look at disasters like that and you have to put it in the context of what if that happens in a playoff game, right? What if that happens against one of your playoff opponents? Charlie mentioned it. Because you went down early against Baltimore, you're not as worried because, okay, it's Baltimore. We can come back, and we did. But if that happens in a playoff series against, I don't know, the White Sox, or Houston, bye-bye, bye-bye, you're toast. You're toast. You're not coming back in that game. And it won't It won't be just three runs that he gives up. He'll get tagged for four or five, maybe even six, six or seven, and then you're screwed. So Whitlock can't save you at that point. Houck can't save you at that point. Your offense has to climb an uphill battle against a much better team than the Orioles. That's what's scary. So Charlie's right. That can't happen again. From Pavetta because the next time it happens it's going to be potentially in a playoff game or at least in an important game against an important opponent in a game that you really need as you know the standings change from day to day and you're not going to be able to come back so that was that was real scary from Pavetta let me ask you this and I didn't want to talk about it when we were talking about how, because it would have given away 
the the later part of uh, this segment. So, does Hauk have to start in the playoffs if it comes down to Pavetta making a start? Like, do you just start Hauk and hope for the best? Unfortunately, I say no. I I say you have to roll with Pavetta. It's as scary as that was this weekend because I still don't think Hauk second, third time through the rotation, like you're going to run into the same problem where by the fifth inning, he's going to start to lose it. He's going to start getting tagged or he's going to start walking guys and you're going to make a change anyway. So I'd rather have how coming in like in the middle of a game than starting a playoff game, if, especially now that they've already moved him to the bullpen to begin with putting him back in the rotation for a playoff game, just sends a weird message and doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I think Look, you you made your bed with Pavetta. He got you this far. You you have to roll with it. I get it. I, I get where Jason's coming from. It's not a bad bad uh, point to make because it's it's completely understandable. We also don't know what Pavetta would look like in the bullpen. We know what Tanner Howe can do in the bullpen. Um, I, I think emotions overrule reason, and my emotions are telling me that I want to see Howe pitch over Pavetta. That's what I want. But what I want doesn't necessarily happen. And in this particular circumstance, despite what I want, I'm emotionally looking at this, not objectively looking at this. And Jason brings a good point. Pavetta makes more sense. We know what how can do. And if Pavetta struggles, you know who's coming out of the bullpen first or second uh, to clean up. I still give it to Hauk because I feel like even if they both pitch four innings, I think Hauk's going to give up the fewest runs. And so, and I feel like he has a reasonable shot at, at giving up only perhaps one or two runs. So I think he gets you off to a better start. If you're super lucky, you can ride him for an extra inning or two beyond that. We haven't. I don't think he's gone past five this year. I could be wrong, but right. But I just it, if Pavetta goes out there and we're down by six, I'm gonna feel way worse than I would if if Hauk gets roughed up for for four innings. Right. So that that's where I'm at right now. Anyway, absolutely agree with you. But what do you think Alex Cora is gonna do? He's gonna stick with Pavetta. He might. I mean, this was Baltimore this weekend. I'm with you. In pitch number one, he gives up a single. In his second pitch of the game, he gives up a two-run dinger. Yeah. I, I mean, against a good pitching staff, we've seen the Red Sox not be able to overcome two runs. <laughs> you know? So, I just... And Tampa could be that team. If it's McClanahan or... Anyone other than Yarbrough, I, I feel like I feel like we could get shut down. I, I do. Planahan's also coming back. He he was um I'm not sure if he was injured or had a COVID spout, but he was out for a little bit. I think he pitched today though, so I think he's he's back now. Oh, did he? Oh, then he's back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. pitched today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's probably a conversation we're gonna have as as we get closer. I mean, we have to win the damn wild card game, and that's. Far from a certainty, especially if it's against Toronto, 
especially if it's against Robbie Ray on the mound. So, um, so we'll, we'll see, but Pavetta, you know, makes me pretty uncomfortable. Uh, any other duds to go over? There's no one really in the lineup. I was a little surprised Schwarber only played one game. He played the middle game in the series, and that was it. it was one for four. But uh, all right, let's uh, let's just get into the next series real quick. Uh, game one is Eduardo Rodriguez versus Marcus Stroman. So this is Red Sox Mets, and this is Tuesday. Monday uh, is an off day, so. Good matchup. Should be a good matchup. Um, I'm losing faith in Eduardo Rodriguez uh, by the start. But the Mets are a complete dumpster fire. And um, I know that they're sort of like, they, they're Jekyll and Hyde, right? When when they're running hot, they are they look like one of the best teams in baseball at times. Um, and when they're not running hot, they look like complete jokes. So, um, this is all going to be on Eduardo. Uh, you know, the Red Sox have seen Stroman so many times that I feel like they can they can figure him out. They're used to him. Um, so it's all on Eddie and what he's going to do. I just don't have a ton of faith in him right now. I actually... I'm upset. I'm very ornery because the statement that I'm going to make it hurts. It hurts to say that Erod will lose to the person that thinks that he's playing a video game in real life in Marcus Stroman. I think that Stroman's going to win this game. And it hurts to say it because I can't stand Marcus Stroman. I think he's an absolute petulant child. The <laughs> way that he carries himself on the on the mound coming off the mound i just i wanted him to get a comebacker like somewhere around the face region just to like humble him a little bit but he's actually been having a really good year he's got better numbers than erod and as far as consistency goes he's been getting it done and while he hasn't had any decisions in the past couple of uh games He's still doing a very good job against some formidable opponent opponents. And uh, I just, I have to give him the edge. That's me though. Erod's been up and down for sure. I, I think he's had a couple of uh, good starts in a row. A Seattle start was definitely a good one. Let's put it that way. And the Mets are a team that could... It could be a bad matchup for him. I mean, they've got plenty of offense, and if if they come into the game swinging good bats, that could definitely be a bad game for Rodriguez. But I like the momentum we have. So I'm going to take the Red Sox in that game. Let me say this, though. Remember that game? It was in 2019. Stroman was pitching. He was still with Toronto, so it was before the deadline. And he was just acting like a complete jackass all game. He was shutting down the Red Sox annoyingly, but then he was taunting the dugout after. And then Eckersley made some comments, and then there was some 
back and forth on Twitter, you know, later in the game. Well, it wasn't much back and forth because I don't think Eckersley responded on Twitter, but Strowman had some words for Eckersley. And um, the roster's different now. Half the guys on it now weren't on it in 2019. But here's something to think about. Strowman's going to have to be in the batter's box for a couple of at-bats. Maybe a third if we're unlucky, but at least two. Do you we know, do we give do we give Strowman a little bit of plunk therapy? Nah. No. No, because the Red Sox aren't going to sink to that level. Marcus Stroman is also trying to get his 10th win for just the third time or fourth time, excuse me, in his career. He's been in the league 8 years. 8 years. And he's won 10 times, more than 10 times, excuse me, just twice. His rookie year, when he didn't even pitch a full season, and then a couple years after that when he pitched a full season. Since then, he's had losing records almost every year. This is the first time where he's really going to be pitching almost another relatively full season, albeit different team. Uh, Strikeout numbers I anticipated were going to be a little bit higher than they actually were. I, I don't think the Red Sox are going to, you know, sink to any any standards of his. He's either going to get the win or he's going to get the no decision, but I still think the Mets will end up pulling this one out. Yeah, and I, I just think the Red Sox, this current Red Sox team is a little bit too soft. So I don't, I don't see them, like, getting mad, even if he is, you know, <clears throat> striking them out and taunting them and doing his usual thing, like, who on this Red Sox team is going to get fired up and is going to bark back at him? Like, it's not going to be Xander. It's not going to be Devers. It's, you know, it's not going to be JD. JD's there to get his one for four in his RBI and then go home. So he doesn't <laughs> care. Dahlbeck's too young. You know, like, it. There, there isn't that, you know, as much as I couldn't stand the guy. But you don't have, like, a Johnny Gomes on this team who's going to, like, you know, be on the top step of the dugout barking back at him. That's just not who this Red Sox team is. They're a little bit soft. So um, and I, I, I just think Stroman's going to just give it to them and they're just going to take it. I think the meanest guy on the team who I could see charging the mound is Jose Iglesias. <laughs> He's just got that attitude yeah. about him. And we've seen him go after his own teammates when he was a Tiger. He and uh, McCann were having a shoving match in the dugout. But... You would think, you would think maybe a guy like Renfro because he's a big muscle head, but I don't think so. <laughs> Kike Hernandez ain't going to charge the mound, so, so that's an interesting observation, Jason. But uh, game two, uh, it's listed as TBD, but I'm almost positive that's going to be Chris Sale. Um, and that's actually what ESPN says. So we'll go with that. Tyler McGill, who is, I think, a rookie, uh, either way, has not had a very good year with the Mets. Uh, and then uh, up against Chris Sale. This is a lineup. We knew the White Sox start was probably going to be ugly for Sale, and it, it wasn't a good one. So this could, could be another one that goes a little bit sideways. But we are facing a pitcher where we could potentially – score some runs as well. So it just could be a high offensive game. 
I um yeah, I actually I like this one for sale. I, I think that this is one where he's not gonna toy with them. Um and the one thing about this Mets lineup is it's it's got a lot of hitters who strike out a ton. Um, you know, guys like Baez and, and Alonzo, it like they strike out a lot. And I think Sale's gonna bring a little bit of his better stuff this time. And I this McGill kid, I don't know much about him, but he has not had a, a great year so far with the Mets and the Red Sox offense is even a little bit awake. They should be able to tag this kid for plenty of runs. So I like Sale in this game. So I, I like him salvaging the split. I like Chris Sale to win the 87th game of the season for the Boston Red Sox, a number that will be surpassed, making it official that each one of us was incorrect in predicting the total number of wins <laughs> for the Boston Red Sox this year. Chris Sale will win more than one game for the remainder of the year. Uh, I have him split in the series. I think Chris Sale has a bounce back where he strikes out at least two guys. That's just for you, Jason. Uh, and Terry, too, because I, I think he just had just a, a one-off game. I mean, I'm still okay with it because he still didn't get blown out. Had he gotten blown out and had just one strikeout, I would have been more concerned. But he was still making his pitches, doing his job, and he will continue to do that in this next game. Miguel, in his last start against the Cardinals, that was on the 15th, gave up six earned runs on nine hits. So if uh, if we do carry that momentum, we're probably catching him at the right time. So. So we will wrap on that 24 hours after this episode gets released. We will have Hot Take Tuesday. Charlie is uh, rounded up all the hot takes this week. So we'll uh, get into that and then be back on Wednesday with Andrew and Job to talk about what did happen in this Mets series. Everybody have a good start to your week. Take care.